Hi everyone and welcome to the Panama podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome back to the show uh, and uh, I am delighted to welcome back uh, a good friend of mine and a friend of the show, somebody who's been a guest a few times. We haven't chatted for uh, about three years actually. Um, been a while, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Sarah Heath, welcome back. Thank you so much. Um, I hope you're hearing me okay. Is it working all right? Perfect. Yeah, I can hear you fine. Yeah. Great. Um, yeah, it's been a while. You were on the show about three years ago when you had your last book out. I think it was that was your last book. Um, yeah. And we did that interview in your in your apartment where you are now sitting. Um, and uh, yeah, because we did that interview live in LA. Um, That's true. We did. Costa That's Mesa, right. Sorry, Costa Mesa, not LA. You're in Costa Mesa. We are not actually in LA, and it's so funny because I think anyone who is outside of California, actually outside of Southern California, always just anything in Southern California is LA. So most people think I'm in LA. Yeah, no, because I mean, because it's on a map. It like when you don't live in a map, when you don't live in America, it looks like it's really close. Yeah, it's not it at is, all. But it's not at all. It really no. isn't. I did a train journey and it was a few hours. Must mm-hmm. have been a few hours, like you know, because I started. I mean, it's forty-five minutes by car, but then there's traffic, which is just a whole other story. Oh, traffic in LA is just like. Oh. <laughs> Never ending. Never ending. Oh, it just it takes like an hour and a half to get from on the outskirts to yep. the center of LA. Like yep. that's not an exaggeration. No, not at um, all. That's that's literally the reality of it. Like, um yeah, I I I've never seen anything like it in my life. Like London does not compare. No, <laughs> not at all. Traffic. So, um and London's very busy, but uh, nothing like LA. Um, well, I think we also have this like interesting dynamic within American culture where folks don't like it's the independence thing, right? And so I think part of that is we're so independent, we want our own cars. So there is not a lot of investment in, except for very, there's a couple cities that have invested in it, but there's not as much infrastructure for not driving your own car. There's not public transit in the same way. You know, I originally am from Canada and there's great public transit, but. When it comes to the states, we are not a public transit uh, kind of area. Yeah, that's right. Because I, I think um, a mutual friend of ours told me that they, they had the opportunity to put a kind of underground railroad system in when they built the Angeles, but they didn't because car companies didn't want it or something. You know, like yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, <laughs> fiercely independent and at our own detriment. I'm afraid. Yeah. Yeah, sadly. A Costa Mesa was lovely, by the way, everybody. I highly recommend visiting. It's a lovely, it's lovely place. Um, it's not busy at all. Like, like It is not. Right. It is it's a quiet little bit down. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful place. Um, so, yeah, you've been up to a lot of things since we last spoke. Um, yeah. The last time we spoke, you were a Methodist minister at a local what? church. Um, and you just released a book. Um, but things have changed, haven't they? So, um, what have you been up yeah. to? Yeah. So as part of my uh, journey and just sort of wanting to figure out uh, what was healthiest for me as well as healthiest for my community. So I was a local church pastor at a church that I had grown um, for five years. So it was a new development deal. And uh, it was great. And it took all of me. And I had wonderful volunteers. And I had... Um, just a really great experience of an incredibly diverse community. However, um, the way that our system is, um, 
really, I don't have any other way to say it other than I was drowning. Um, I was working all the time and kind of didn't have a life of my own and uh, kind of didn't even know what I needed or wanted anymore. And so just in a process of recognizing like my own faith had shifted a long time before that, I think. Um, and so I was just sort of working all the time, not feeling very connected um, other than kind of what I could do for people. And I know you talk about the Enneagram a lot, James. I'm an Enneagram three, so it's very easy for me to just go by how much work I can do versus how am I connecting to this. Um, and I didn't want it to be a performance. I loved my people so much. I knew that um, I wanted it to be authentic and honest, and I, I didn't feel like I was being particularly either of those. And so for me, it was a, a really painful process. Uh, it's been quite a journey. Um, but I decided that I was going to start tr thinking about transitioning out of ministry and then a pandemic hit. And so then we had to figure out uh, kind of what does it look like to serve a community remotely? That was a lot. And so if I wasn't burnt out before, I was absolutely burnt out after 2020. But our system works to July to July. And so I, I gave it another year even, and I left full-time ministry in 2021. Um, and yeah, that's kind of the, that was the exit out. Um, and there's lots of stuff around that. You know, there was a, we're going to let you be part of the process and discerning who's coming next. And then that wasn't the case. Uh, my church itself was incredibly supportive and continue to be like incredibly supportive. I preached there this week for the first time in a year and a bit, and it was wonderful. Such a great experience, but also just uh, the system itself is not built for anything other than, so the United Methodist system, other than local church pastor, you start your career, you end your career there. And just feeling like that wasn't what I felt compelled or called to do. So uh, that was not, it didn't fit in the system. And I have felt for a long time that my work was both in and outside of the church system. And so that was that. I had to kind of pull the I had to pull the plug on having a steady income and um, health care, which is something that you guys have got right, I have to say, in England. So I uh, did not, you know, there's, I'm having to figure out how to pay my own health care. What does that look like? Paying into retirement. What does that look like? All these things that I think um, the system here makes it really difficult, not just our Methodist system, but the uh, national system. So, yeah. Yeah, big change. And that's, that takes a lot of courage to do. Um, Thanks. Yeah, that's, yeah. Well, you've always been a courageous person, so it doesn't surprise me. Um, <laughs> I see a bit. I, you know, it's interesting. You, we were talking just before we started recording about this. Is the my apartment? It's kind of an apartment, kind of a condo. There's no one attached to it, but it is like a very tiny space, and it's just beautiful, and I love it. And so, oftentimes, I would have meetings here, and it was a meeting in this very room that I uh, let my leaders, that the 12 folks who had really invested um, in my work at that church know that I was leaving. And part of the pain of that process was that they didn't let me, my bosses and the bosses above really didn't give me a, a way out. Um, they didn't give me a timeline of what to share with people. And so at some point I just had to say, I have to let people know because we're planning for the next year and I'm not gonna be here. And later found out there was just a process of gaslight going, gaslighting going on where literally bosses were talking to other bosses saying, oh, I don't think she's really going to leave. And um, I was. <laughs> or I think almost they almost could have kept me had they uh, figured out a way to really um, support me. And they weren't able to do that. Again, our system is not um, nimble, to say the least. So 
Um, I sat in this meeting and told the people I really cared about, hey, uh, you know, I am not going to be the lead pastor after July. And it got absolutely silent. And one of the women in our room, uh, in that room said, Sarah, we're not silent because we're mad. We're silent because we're sad for us and also silent because once again, you're giving us an example of leading authentically. Um, and and we don't often get that. Your paycheck, you know, uh, we would understand just being like stuck to st- like stability and honor. You know, at that point, you know, I was serving on the mayor's council. I was doing all kinds of things that in some ways would be considered achieving and it didn't feel right or like me. And um, so I think there was this this shift um, in the room that was so beautiful. And then after that meeting, I got thank you cards from folks in the room saying, thank you for um, being open and honest with us. And thank you for, again, leading with with authenticity and saying, this has nothing to do with you guys and has everything to do with, I want to always be honest when I'm, when I'm standing in front of a room of people. And right now, I'm burnt out. I'm tired. I don't have any I knew I would harm the community if I stayed. I'm, I'm not as creative. I wasn't creative as I had been in the past. And so it was a really painful process. And of course, like a year and two months later, it's easy to look back and be like, yeah, that was not that hard, but it was, it was a very painful process for sure. And a re-identity, right? Like my whole identity was being the progressive tiny little pastor, right? And so when you're not that, figuring out who's Sarah when she's not Pastor Sarah has been quite a journey. <laughs> yeah. Um... And like I say, it's, it's it's even more courageous, like because you're in America, right? Like, you don't have like the NHS, like we have free healthcare, right? I get all my healthcare free, like, um, and there's you know welfare and there's benefits and all these kind of things. We like we we just get those, yeah, right. America is like, oh, yeah. Um, I saw this video actually of. British people being asked about American healthcare costs and trying to guess them. <laughs> like, um, even I was shocked with some of the costs actually, because I didn't know that in America yeah. you have to pay for you have to pay for an ambulance and you have to pay for somebody to give oh, yeah. to give birth. And I was like, because I just assumed, okay, America, you have to pay for healthcare, but you don't have to pay for those things, right? Because everyone, because that's life and death things. That's it doesn't matter. Things. Like, and then some. Oh yeah, you have to pay for them. And I'm like. You're kidding. Like, yeah, incredible. I I had an experience. So part of the deal that I made with myself in all of this was that I was going to say yes to about everything for a year. Um, And one of the yeses that I am so glad I said yes to uh, was my friends got married um, actually in England uh, and lovely little town. And we were in this manor house. And it was, you know, as I was making all the arrangements, we were still in the in the throes of the pandemic. And so it was scary to travel. We were, you know, having to test and test and test. And there's lots of stories around it. But um, it was almost like a movie, James. Can you imagine there's about 40 people from all over the world in a manor house together for four days? There's events every day. So we played rounders. We um, We had dance parties. We played pub games. We just... It was an incredible experience, and I had signed up to to go. And I, you know, as I'm getting close, I was so grateful. My parents actually were, you know, we'll help you with the plane ticket because there was like kind of, you know, when you don't have an income coming in on a regular basis. Even though I will tell you, I do coach people, and I am doing all right financially. But I wasn't what I was doing right at all. And so the the side things, the travel, the things that I um, used to be able to do so easily now, it's like, do I do that or do I get groceries? So I um. 
I ended up going to this thing and I was sitting around this table and I realized everyone in the room was doing such incredible things. Um, you know, from there's a guy who's a venture capitalist who's created all these and helped all these incredible businesses succeed. There was a guy who is this photographer that is um, just, I mean, his work is insane. It's amazing. There's a girl who's literally the lead makeup artist for Europe for Mac, uh, you know, and all these people are doing these creative endeavors. And I said, I was just speaking to the table and I was like, you know, I wonder if it's Allison and Chloe are the name of the couple that got married, who, by the way, I just saw because they've been living in their van for a year, if that gives you any idea, like the kind of people we're talking about. Uh, and I said, hey, like, do you think it's because Allison and Chloe just kind of draw together these really interesting people? All of you are such incredible creatives. And Francis was uh, one of the guys that was there, actually a photographer. And he was like, Sarah, it's not that. He said, I think, yes, that is true. He said, but what you're looking at is a table of mostly Europeans. And most of us are from the UK. We don't have student debt. We don't have to pay for our health care. We don't have to pay for And he said, and so what that did, it was enabled us to actually do the jobs we were meant to do. He's like, so many of my American friends are doing their side hustle hope while working at Starbucks, while trying to pay off the student loan that they were required to get to go to college. And I think that's the, it's a really interesting idea is that, and he said, we absolutely see it as a privilege. And when we look at America, we actually feel sorrow that people kind of can't do the thing that they might feel like they should do because they're held back by all of these financial obligations. And I thought, wow, like I think sometimes because of the American narrative and having not grown up in America until I was 14, but I, I feel like I'm fairly familiar with the American narrative. The American narrative is kind of like everybody wishes they were America because we make all the movies. But the truth is, is like, I, I think there are a lot of people who are looking at us going like, you're a overworked population that's in debt and in, in mega debt like almost all of you. And, you know, I have friends who can't get married because if they consolidate their debt, it's going to be terrible, you know, that sort of thing. And it's just like, wow, the things we have to consider um, is very fascinating. So down that rabbit hole we go. But yes, yeah, so it might have been a big step, uh, but it was one I knew I needed to take. And I call it a divine invitation um, to say, I can't do this job anymore. I don't know what I'm doing next, but I know it's not this. And I, in the midst of it, then was invited to get another credential. Um, and so I ended up going back to school, even though I was incredibly burnt out and getting a ICF, which is International Coaching Federation certification. So I coach entrepreneurs and former church leaders and church leaders, and I consult churches on making their spaces um, better spaces, both literally and figuratively. And I speak at events and then also, you know, getting a side job. So I'm surviving financially. That's great. That really is great. Like I I remember going to visit the church that, that you were uh, that you were the minister of uh, when I came to visit you, and um, you showed me. I think you showed me a photo of what it was like when you arrived. Yeah. And then I saw and seeing what it was like, what you'd done to it, it was like it was like um, it was like uh, extreme home makeover or um, queer yeah. eye, like right. you know, like like before and after kind of thing. Like, and yeah. And I, and I actually, I think I said to you. You could do this. You could easily do this for a living. You could like this is, you've got a gift, you know. For yeah, that and that's the hard part is trying to figure out how to use that gift in a way that is most helpful. And so, um, making spaces was a podcast, and it's coming back actually eventually soon. Um, and there was what I have learned honestly over the last year and a bit is I am not a solo team player. 
And uh, I was required to do that. As I relaunched the church, I had to build my own team. We didn't have finances to have a team. And so uh, I could hire kind of bits and pieces here. But I want people with equal buy-in. I no longer want to be the solo entrepreneur who does everything. And so um, it's been really interesting having some conversation with some folks who are potentially going to come in and be part of a team for doing just what you're talking about. And then I'm willing to get a side hustle job to make space for that to be able to happen. And also some business opportunities around Airstreams, which also plays into my story, as you know. Uh, So yeah, I think I had to open myself up to the grand adventure and just sort of saying, I can't do this. I know I'm definitely being told I can't do this. Um, I'm too burnt out. Um, I I was frustrated with people and that's just not my – I don't know. I think for me that's the – barometer is the minute that I start to – I love people so much. And the minute that I start to be frustrated or annoyed with people in a way that um, would have at one point been like, oh, man, they're going through a lot. I didn't have that same empathy that I once had. I was just so frustrated all the time and disappointed with people. And that's not how I wanted to live my life. And so it was. It was a big ooh, it was a big risk to step out. And in some ways, it's been great. And in other ways, it's been hard. Mm. Well, yes, yeah, stepping out is always hard. I mean, I, I actually remember quitting my job um, in 2017, I think, 2016, 2016. Uh, I, was, I was in like a 13-year job in the public sector, really stable, was never going to get fired. Mm-hmm. You know, I could probably get promoted a bit. Um, but I was dying inside, and I, yeah. and I knew I had things I wanted to do. Um, and when they kind of like said, there's an option of you taking voluntary redundancy and, you know, and getting a nice payoff. Um, I was like, well, you know, I, this might be a good idea. Um, You're like, I'll be, I'll volunteer to be redundant. <laughs> and I, I did it in the end. And I, it was so out of character for me at the time. I'd never done anything like that in my life. Um, and I knew I ended up going to America for the first time. And I, I, I had my book come out, which, didn't, which didn't work out the way I wanted it to. I'll be honest about mm-hmm. it. It was a risk, and it didn't didn't really work. Um, and I had to go back to full time employment a year later. But like, I wouldn't change that because I right. because like I was alive. I was doing something that I wanted to do. And if I hadn't done it, I would always have wondered what if, right? Yeah. I would rather do something and fail than wonder what if, you know, because. What if is like living with the what if is like it's awful. It's much worse than than trying something and failing. Um, oh, absolutely. I I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Have you ever done the artist's way, James? Yes. I feel like you would. I, yeah. I love the artist's way. Yes, absolutely. I'm restarting the artist's way in um, typical ADHD fashion. Uh, restarting something with the intention of making it happen. Yes. Um, yes. And yeah. I I'm like four days into the everyday doing it. And I, the the piece that for me keeps coming up is this idea of like, what are you going to do with your future? Like, how are you going to make money? Because I was, I was in a career path. And not only was I in a career path, but I was doing really well. I had a profession versus, and a career versus like a job, right? Um, and so the, the critical voice in my head um, says, well, if you had stayed in, you know, I was lucky in that I could have been promoted. I could have, but promotion for me, uh, just would have been a bigger church. Uh, and maybe that would have been better, right? Like I would have had a staff and been less tired and not having to do everything, but 
I am an entrepreneur of mine, so I like just the constant thinking. But what has also – so the equal voice of what have you done, what are you doing, is this voice that says, oh, my gosh, who you were a year ago is not who you are now, and I wouldn't change it. I would not change – you know, I, I moved to Oregon to work on a 1973 Airstream. Um, she's now here, which is an interesting and fun part of the story. Um, and I know I, I gendered my Airstream, but there it is. Her name is she. Uh, she her name's Gidget. Um, hmm. Like my life is just so different than it was a year ago. And I had I it I wouldn't have the life I have now had I stayed in that job. Now I can't maintain this life. I can't uh, financially, and also. Even if I could financially, to be honest, um, and because I can, you know, I do have, I just have to hustle for more clients and um, take more speaking gigs, which would be great, but I don't want to hustle anymore. Um, I don't love it. But what I do love and what has been beautiful is like, I am so grateful for this year because it taught me the important things of, I don't want to do life alone anymore. I don't want to not have a team anymore. I love coaching people. That was and not only am, do I love coaching people, I never would have figured that out had I stayed in ministry. I'm really good at it. Like I've had all these entrepreneurs launch these amazing businesses. I've had people change their lives. I never would have thought I could do that and be paid to do that, right? Like our my work in the church work was I was just meant to hang out with people for free forever all the time and to have these really tight boundaries around the work that I do and using the the giftedness I feel like I have to be able to use discernment and say, hey, like, I feel like this might be something you want to lean into. And then getting to play around with that person as they develop it. And even like you say, spatial design, getting to be like the jerk who's the professional and comes in and says, hey, this is really terrible and we can fix it and it will be better for your community is so fun. And I never would have been able to do that had I only been tied to just my local community. And so I think for me, it's you're right. I don't regret this year at all. And learning to trust like you know, twice a month I used to get a substantial paycheck and it made life great in some ways, but I have had to learn, okay, I gotta, I gotta not do this. I can do that. I, you know, all these things that, um, I'm really lucky that I have been able to do that. You know, I understand it's a place of privilege to be able to do that. Um, because I did have savings. I don't anymore. Um, but I think that's been part of it. And I've been so grateful for all the clients and such that have trusted me and, um, and I will continue to coach even uh, moving forward because it has been such a joy. And just to see people really live into like who they are meant to be, you know, the, the joke is I'm a influencer and I get everybody to quit their job, but I really don't. I just like to help people flourish in whatever they want to do or are currently doing. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's it, isn't it? It's not about, it's not about the success or the numbers or the, it's, it's what makes you feel alive, right? right it's absolutely. What, it's what brings you to life. Uh, I was, I was watching a uh, an interview with Kevin Smith, mm. um, uh, you know, I mean, the director, actor, kind of, you know, it's. Um, he was on a, another podcast and he was talking about creativity and he was talking about taking risks and why do we make things, and he said, um, the moment you make a thing, you've won, mm. like. The end results, the numbers, is just gravy, just asterisks, right? The moment you create something that is yours, when you ring, when you 
bring something to life that wasn't there, you win. Like it's like and this guy's been really successful, right? But um, but that's his philosophy. Like he's actually said that he he actually said that like he'd been offered big budgets by studios to make movies the way that they wanted them, but he took mm-hmm. a smaller budget to do it the way that he wanted to do it. Yeah. Um, um and like uh, and I love that. It's just. We shouldn't be afraid. It's not about the numbers and the money and the, like, you know, money's important to pay bills and pay rent and buy food and things like that. But, um, yeah, we need to kind of subtract that from the joy and the experience and the, the art of, you know, creativity and, and life. I mean, life, life is a work of art, isn't it? So, um, yeah. Uh, and I mean, that's like my perspective now. I've come to like, I finally got to a place where I'm like, I do not want to make money from what I create, really. Mm. Like, I just want to make things that I like, that I enjoy making and that bring me to life and make, that are fun, right? Um, like, and I'll get a job and find a career which hopefully brings me good money and pays my bills and then I can make the stuff that I want to make and, in, and enjoy it. And if that turns suddenly somehow that turns into a success and accidentally brings in money, then whatever, then that's great. But that's not what I'm doing doing it for anymore. Um, and it took me a long time to get over that because I I was I kept being told that I had to make money from it if you know I was good at it and if I you know if I was because I can write, I, therefore I should be able to, I should make money from it. And I'm like I don't I don't particularly want to because well I think it's the realization that um, it loses its. Uh... I don't know. It feels like you squish it. It loses its um, shine a little. It loses its charm. It loses its um, magnetism sometimes when you when you have to do something. And I think mm-hmm. me learning learning to just say yes to the whims and the in- invitations. You know, like getting to use my creative side, sharing that instead of just like having all this stuff on the side that nobody knew I was really passionate about. Right? Like so. Like the idea that I love like. When people see the church, right, the church and how much that space flipped and how much it get used, it gets used for public events now and things like that, many people thought I just like walked in and said, let's change this, let's change this, let's change this. What they didn't realize is like I used my own hands and did it. And so um, we didn't have the money to pay for a general contractor or, you know, and so it was me kind of grabbing people. And there were th- some things like, guys, I do need you to know the electrical was done by professionals. The, the things that could potentially harm the church later were done by professionals. But in general... It was me and some scrappy group of volunteers. And I recorded all of it. And then as I began to share it with people, it was so fascinating how that has really resonated with people. And even working on my Airstream has really resonated with people. And I want to share more of that. But I also don't want it to always be about creating content. Like, what if I just do it? Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, because I am tempted to look at my friends who make a living doing the stuff that I do. And I'm going to want like that. But then I also remember that all of these people are doing all of that because they had, you know, someone that was maybe paying their bills, you know, whether they were partnered or whatever it might be. They weren't in the same situation as I am. And so for me, it's like, okay, I am going to figure out a way to do the creative things like you say, and then not, yes, I want to tie it to finances at some point. But um, 
it feels like this time was really important for me to find the folks who are going to become my team around it. And you know who, like Jen Hatmaker was the one who said to me, Sarah, I wouldn't be Jen Hatmaker if I hadn't found and listed a couple of people that are on her team. She's like, I don't do everything that people think I do. Um, you know, there is someone who's saying, post this, you know, uh, do, do that, uh, can follow up on that thing. Cause she's like, there's no way I could do everything that you see. There's no way. Um, and she said, and you don't have that. So don't feel bad that you're not like getting all of the, this was like years ago, getting all this stuff done. And that was really helpful for me to kind of see behind the curtain and go, oh, to be that person takes a team of people behind them or, you know, and so I think that's helpful too. When you're out here doing all this stuff on your own, um, of course you're going to smush it if you just have to make money from it right away. Yeah. Absolutely. So Yeah. And our work that we do. So I started a podcast during all this time with a dear friend of mine called Rev Covery. And uh, it's a podcast for folks who are leaving ministry or transitioning out of ministry or wanting to do ministry differently. And it's done really, really well. And it's fascinating because both him and I um, were strategic, but we're not around trying to grow it. We want it to grow very organically. We have a discord. It's great. The conversations that happen in there are amazing. I wish I could spend more time developing it because it's so cool, but I kind of love that it's growing organically. But again and again, we hear from people who are just like, I know I need to transition. I don't know what I'm transitioning to. I don't know what I, you know, and I feel like everything that we're talking about is what the world is talking about right now. You know, post-pandemic, we're totally different when it comes to uh, how we can live out our vocations, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, it feels like a lot of us have been through, I mean, we've been through this collective trauma haven't we and uh, lockdown kind of almost compelled us to kind of examine ourselves and like look inwards um and i i lost count of the number of people i know who have discovered a new vocation a new job a new calling a new well, calling but like the, the, the just like, i know one person who was i think they were kind of in a part-time job when the pandemic hit and they kind of lost that job, I think. And then they started painting just because they had time. And now they've got the whole Etsy store, their artists, and they're brilliant at it. They're brilliant at it. They had no idea they were any good at it at all. They just did it because they loved it. Um, it. And now they're just almost by accident making income out of it. And it's wonderful. Um, And the art is genuinely incredible. amazed they didn't they didn't they didn't see this gift before because it's just yeah like and they wouldn't have found that if not for the pandemic right and so a lot of that the pandemic's doing a lot of that with people um for and, sure and that's a good thing um because we're being challenged to discover more of ourselves which is scary but also quite exciting i think we also realize things that we once thought were stable are not stable mm. um and that you can lose the most stable of things, right? Like a job that everyone thought or or it's going to change and shift. And so um, in some ways, I think there is value in that. I also just think it's, I mean, it's, it's terribly scary uh, to change careers. It's hard. And especially if you feel like you're the only one who's going through it. And so I have to say it has been really good to have the Discord channel and have like, you know, 40 people having this conversation with you, right? Um, 
and they're going through it. And, and then they look at each other's resumes and they say, oh, why don't you use this wording? And, and you know, now we have people transitioning from ministry into tech jobs and they're going, guys, this is amazing. I have Sundays to eat brunch. I can like I can go to a faith community and just go and not pour my whole thing into it. And what do I look like now? And it's just this really interesting process I think we're all going through as a generation where a lot of the stories we were told or a lot of the things we believed aren't have shifted. You know, I don't think there was malice sometimes, or sometimes I think there was malice, but I think sometimes people were just living out of the narratives they knew. You know, like my grandfather had the same job for his whole career. Yeah, and a lot of I think a lot of our parents' generation had that, didn't they? Like Yeah. You know, my dad worked in the same job for a long time. Um he did end up changing jobs, but he stayed in the same industry, right? The whole through his whole career, right? Right. And, um, and that used to be the normal thing to do. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think that's. I, I, I think that's that's rare. I don't think people stay in the same career their whole life. From no, getting to no. Earn, you know, um, and that's a good thing. We need to because. Okay, that's a sign that you're growing because as you as you get old and you get to know yourself more, you have, you discover more desires, you just 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 discover passions, you discover dreams, and then it's about having the courage to actually follow through. Um, and I think some of it too is untying it from your vocation. Yeah, absolutely, um, I agree. Yeah, you know, and I think we mean so well when we say to someone, "You're a really good writer; you should make money off of it." But what we don't say is, you're a great writer. In order to make money off of this, you are going to have to also become a top-notch marketer. Um, You're going to have to write an exact niche book that will come out at the exact right time where no other book that has anything to do with what you're writing. I mean, what it takes to become a full-time writer for, for income is insane, and yet that shouldn't be the reason you don't write. And so I think there's that when we tie it to, I have to do this thing. um, I think sometimes we miss out, you know, um, on the joy of it. And then we're creating just to make, but that's like normal, right? Especially with social media, we think anything we do as a hobby should turn into how we influence the world. Instead of, instead of getting very specific about like, I do this because I love to do it. And in some ways, me doing this is about me doing this for, like you said, it's the it's the creative venture of it. Um, how Kevin put it, like you've already done the thing. When you've created it, you've you've done an act of courage. You have given yourself to something beyond yourself. It's this like beautiful sacred space for me, like um, creating or making something or offering something. And the moment I don't the moment I need it to do or be something, it loses its uh, yeah. compelling nature for me anyway. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's kind of my approach with this podcast as well. I've been doing this for six years now, and I started doing this because I was curious. I didn't have, you know, when I started writing, it was like, oh, I have to write, I have to be an author, I have to make money from it, all that kind of thing. When I started this, it was just literally curiosity, like, I don't know if I'll be any good at this. I have no idea, like, you know, what this would look like, but I'm curious. And I started doing it, and it turns out I am good at it, and it turns out I love it, and it turns out that it's kind of become the thing. And um, and I determined with myself, look, I will never I will never do this because I have to do it. Mm. I always check in, I check in, I check in with myself about 
twice a year just to see like, am I, do I still love this? Am I still in love with this stuff? Like, do I still enjoy it? Or am I, I love like, that. And the moment that I realized, the moment that I realized, the moment that I, that I, that it's, that it's become a duty and it's become something I have to do, then I'm going to, then I'll stop. So that'll be it. That'll be like, uh, that'll be the sign that I need to stop because I don't want to do this podcast or any podcasting or any creative work because it's a duty, right? Um, um, I'm still loving this podcast and I love talking to people and I love hearing stories and I love meeting people and um, learning from people. And it's, um, and so I'm going to keep doing it like, because I love, because it, and I don't have any plans to monetize it or anything like that because I, I don't need to like, um, and and because I have friends who, you know, who support me and like, who, you know, just donate money um, to pay the little amount that it takes to make this podcast. So like, I, yeah. And, and it's it doesn't just, mean you're not disciplined about it, right? Like that's the thing too, is, um, you know, as I'm rereading the artist's way, I'm remembering this whole thing about when we talk about like, I, I'm not going to like force myself. It doesn't mean I don't have disciplines around creativity. Right. So, but the difference between that is more creating the environment so that the thing can happen instead of forcing myself to do the thing. Um, and I think about, you know, that thing you said about checking in with yourself. Um, so, coaching can be really, um, really interesting when you yourself feel like you need coaching. Right. So, like, I have all these credentials to coach folks. I'm, I'm coaching people. One of the people I am coaching, um, really, it became clear like her and I have a lot in common. She's a former pastor. I knew too where she was at. She really couldn't afford me as a coach, not because, I mean, she could have, but it would have been straining on her family. And I was like, this is silly. So we decided to do some mutual coaching because she's also studying coaching. And I was like, why don't we do mutual coaching? Because what that allows us to do is get our credited hours, but it also just like lets me have a coach that's really good without having to pay the money that I would, you know, if that makes sense. So it's like a barter system back and forth. And when you talked about this idea of checking in with yourself, it was three weeks ago, and this story to me is just a, a reminder kind of the, of this idea of like checking in with yourself. Uh, we were here in this living room again. I don't know why profound things happen in this living room, but I was in this living room. And she was like, Sarah, because I was so overwhelmed. I was like, here's my to-do list, and I've got all this stuff to do, and never, da, 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 which is usually my Monday in Tuesday practice. And this actually happened to be a Tuesday. And so I was overwhelmed. I had a bunch of stuff to do. She'd come here to help me work on some stuff. And her and I were chatting and I was like, I got to find a job like tomorrow and like just panicking because I'd set all these dates and times and stuff that I was going to find a side gig so that I wasn't worried about my just rent bills and things like that. If I can get that covered, I feel like I can hustle for the rest, right? So we're sitting there talking and she said to me, Sarah, out of all of these things that are in your life, she's like, you've got this over here, you've got, you know, you're a great coach. So like coaching, right? You've got the speaking and speaking is where I make uh, the most money per experience, right? You've got these speaking things. Now you podcast and you spend hours a week podcasting and you do a lot of the social media marketing for that. Great. Okay. What about this? And what about this? And she said, is there anything that you need to say yes to? Like, what is the thing that you like, without a doubt, absolutely know you want to say yes to? And I looked at her and I was like, I want to finish my Airstream. I want to. I I have, you know, I got this Airstream um, through a really difficult season and through a really interesting way. And um, my friend had passed away and her her spouse was the one who found it for me. He like, it was this beautiful story and this beautiful challenge of I needed to 
finish this Airstream. There's something about it for me. But I put it in Bend, Oregon, where I went right after I left my church and I kind of disappeared for three months and just kind of worked on it and did what I needed to do and thought through some big things and had some big grief moments and, you know, uh, life-changing stuff. And so, but it's it's going to take a lot to finish this Airstream. So um, this was two, three Tuesdays ago. And I was already going to have to go up to Bend to move some what's known as the skin. So it's the interior shell. I'd taken it all off and they were in my friend's yard. Well, since I first moved it there, my friends have since sold their, not sold their home, they've moved for their jobs. And so they have this house that they're going to be airbnb out. Turns out they didn't want to Airbnb their house out with Airstream skins in their yard. I don't know why. That seems, uh, they were like, could you come and get these eyesores out of the side of our house? And I was like, shoot, yes, I can. And so uh, the guy I'm seeing happened to have some vacation time. He was like, why don't I go with you and we'll move these things. And so I only had two weeks to do it. So he was already, so this Tuesday that my friend said, what is the thing you want to say yes to? I said, I really want to fix my Airstream. And she was like, okay, well, that's interesting. It's in Bend, Oregon. How are you going to do that? Because you don't, you know, like you said, you, you're working a lot. You've got a lot of clients that you're working with. You're, you got to hustle all this time. When are you going to take like a week every other month to go up there? It was kind of my vision of it, right? I was going to go and work a week on it every other. Well, it costs a lot of money to drive up there. It's a 12, 13 hour drive by myself, usually taking my dog because I have to take all my tools, right? So she was like, so tell me how you're saying yes to this. And and I was like, oh, that's a really good point. And I said, but I know that I'm supposed to say yes to it. So the the guy was coming, my friend, he, the guy I'm seeing, he was coming in town to, we were going to run together and it happened to be that Tuesday. And so he was here and um, we were chatting and then our other friends were in town and said, hey, can you uh, meet us for margaritas? After you guys do your workout run, meet us for margaritas. So this is all happening on the same day. Remember, so the day started with me being super overwhelmed my friend who's a coach challenging me, asking me what I was going to say yes to, me saying it was my Airstream and having absolutely no idea how I was going to say yes to it. My friend challenging me and saying, I think if you're really going to say yes to it, it needs to be here so you can work on it. Because right now your life is in Southern California. It's not in Bend, Oregon. And by the way, Oregon's weather, <laughs> as she pointed out, means that you can't work on it all the time. So I say all that to say, we're all out to margaritas and my friends who invited us, said, Sarah, when are you going to move your Airstream to our yard? And my friends, since they bought their house, have had this little area in their yard that they've said is my Gidget needs to live here area. And I immediately felt this invitation happening again, where it's almost like I don't have any say over it. Uh, I am being invited into something and my job is to say yes. And I was like, well, I, I'll have to figure out how I'm going to get it down there. And uh the guy I'm seeing goes, well, I don't know. Maybe we could take my truck because we can drive my truck, Sarah. It can drive an Airstream. He used to work in construction, so he's able to tow anything. Um, so he's like, let's move Gidget. And immediately I had all that fear, that same fear I had when I left my job of everything's going to change. I'm going to not be going to bend all the time, all this sort of stuff. But it was just like everything was lining up. And I think sometimes when we need to make everything line up. And when we have a decision about, oh, this is where I'm going to direct this thing, um, we get all in our head, we get anxious. And to sit at a table and have each one of the people around the table say, this is how I want to participate in your yes, um, was nothing less than like a reminder and like really profound for me. I had a real emotional experience of going, okay, 
And it's just a dumb Airstream. I mean, for some, it's like, oh, that's a nice privileged experience to be able to do this. But I say all that to say, I think there's so many things we don't say yes to because we can't imagine what it could be like. And for me to have all these people participate and last week she got moved here and now it's in my friend's yard, which means I get to see my friends more often. And there's already been all these experiences over this, you know, bucket of aluminum. Um, if, in, if you don't know what Airstream is, friends, it's a, uh, they're vintage trailers and, uh, or a caravan if you're from James part of the world. Uh, and mine was not, mine is not hipster cute guys. She's in real bad shape, although she's getting better. Um, but there's something about not knowing and, and Gidget does not make me money right now. She literally like, it's like a boat. You just pour money into it. Um, but I, I tell that incredibly long story just to say, I didn't even have an imagination for how being able to say yes to something would change my life. And it has, I mean, I now, you know, it's so funny. I was at the church yesterday and when I left, they gave me all these Airstream things to be like, good luck with your Airstream journey. And now they're like, wait, we can participate in the Airstream journey. It's here. I'm like, it is, you guys could help me. And, and learning to accept other people's help and learning to make it even bigger. And I just think there's so much lessons when we make space for our dreams just by saying yes to one thing and not knowing where it will go next. And that's really hard for those of us who are just very type A and want to know what, like, what's the next thing? Okay, well, now what's the next thing? And just to say yes to like the very next thing in front of you, like Glennon Doyle says, right? The next right thing. So that was a very long story to say, yeah, it's been a wild ride, James, an absolutely wild ride. And it started here and now it ended up back here. And if you had asked me a year ago, if I would be living in Southern California with my Airstream here, I would have said no. If you would have asked me if this weekend I would be celebrating my brother's wedding in California, I would have said no. Like there's so much stuff that if I didn't sit in this posture of yes, I don't even know. I, I mean, I don't even know. I know. It's incredible, isn't it? How little decisions, what seem like little decisions end up having huge, huge Like I don't regret quitting my job because if I hadn't quit my job, I wouldn't have had the, the experience of that book and I wouldn't have learned the lessons that I needed to learn from that. And I wouldn't have, I may not even have left the church that I needed to leave. Yeah. I had more courage to leave my church because I'd left my job and survived. Right. And then I wouldn't have done all the courses that I, that I did and all the therapy that I've done and all the embodiment coaching that I've done and grown the way that I have and, and found the people that I have. Like, so yeah. Um, it's all about courage. Like, you know, and it's not, I'm not, I don't want to, you know, I'm listening. I don't want them people, I don't want to kind of make this sound like, oh, it's easy. And like, if you do it, it's not, if you do what I did and it'll all work out because that's not true. Like it'll, if you, if you, whatever you decide to do, it needs to be true for you and mm -hmm. it'll, and it will change your life. You just don't know how it will change your life. Um, you can't plan for how it will change your life and there's no fixed outcomes. Um, and that's part of the ride, but it's also not easy. <laughs> There's like ups and downs, but that that's how life is and that's how we grow. So like Yeah, I think that's it, isn't it? It's you know, I used to not trust my inner knowing. You know? Yeah. Intuition. But it's like yeah. you have that experience of I shook things up in a way that was really scary for me and it worked out okay. And I remember Kevin Garcia saying to me, Sarah, you're going to be okay. And I remember saying, you don't know that. And he said, yes, I do, because you've always been okay before. And I thought, oh. Okay, great. And that, 
right? It might sound like a light toss away comment, but it's the same as the comment my friend made. Like, what are you saying yes to? Because the truth was I was living my life three weeks ago with the constant in the back of my head, what do I love more than any? Like, I love my dog. We know this. (laughs) I love my Airstream and I love my family. And the hard part for me was saying yes to bringing my Airstream here felt like it really tied me here, but I was already tied here. And your brain can be like all over the place when you're like saying yes to something made made saying no to other, meant saying no to other things, but there were things I needed to say no to. And I think if we can just, it's never going to be easy, friends, but if you can remember like you've got it, you've got it, you've got that thing in you, you're going to be okay. Um, How do I know that? Because you've been okay before. (laughs) And yes, I don't know people's stories and I don't know what they're going through. And you can say, Sarah, and I, I totally appreciate that, you know, and it is a place of privilege to be able to say, you're going to be okay. But I do know that it is really helpful for anyone to sit and say, I can change my mindset on this. I may not be able to change all the circumstances around me, but I can change my belief that I'm going to have to make all the right decisions and instead just sort of make the decisions I feel capable of making in the moment, right? Yeah, absolutely right. Um, yeah, thank you. Oh, yeah, thank you. Oh, it's talking to you. I love having conversations with you. Same. Like, we always just seem to find things to talk about. It's great. It is great. Um, we'll have to have you back on again. because uh, I would love it. And not just not in three years' time. Let's, let's do it in. I know. I love that we were trying to figure out when was the last time we chatted. I'm like, so how's your new job? And you're like, uh, the one that's two years old? It's going fine. <laughs> so this is, this is before recording. Yeah. So that's an innocent question. I heard you had a new job. And I was like, that was before the pandemic. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's insane. Months, the last saw you, I got that job. Like, um, but that's funny. It's just like, but that's the pandemic. The, the last couple of years, time's gone crazy, and we've all kind of lost track of time. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So, um, thank well, you. It's been a joy. Thank you. And um, where can people find you and your your work? Yeah. So you can find me at uh, Rev Sarah Heath, kind of everywhere: uh, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, also a website, revsarahheath.com. Um, you can find Rev Covery, which is our latest podcast that I do with Justin Gentry. Making Spaces will be coming out again soon. So you can just find all of it kind of attached. Social media, Instagram is probably where you're going to find the most. So um, yeah. connect with me there. I'm happy to um, be in connection with new folks. So, And you get to see that, that thing, you've, that um, what's it called? What do you call it? An Airstream. Her name is Gidget. Airstream. You get, to, you, get to, you get to see this Airstream on Instagram. Seriously. I've been watching all the photos and videos of it. It's amazing. This it's so fun. It's I'm actually awesome. taking my parents down. So my parents are in town and I'm taking my parents down there this afternoon. They haven't seen her since I purchased her. And then they, so they were with me on the purchasing tour. And then they were, I think the last time they saw her was when I just started working on her a year ago. So. Fantastic. Yep. Thanks so much, James. You have a wonderful evening. Yes. And thank you for listening, everybody. Yes. Um, yeah.